It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome back, movie lovers, to another exciting and adventurous episode, musical episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. I am Scott, and uh, joining in this duet is Lauren. Say hello, Lauren. Hello, Lauren. I'm now worried. Is this musical because we have to sing or because we're covering a musical? Oh, you'll find out. (laughs) Oh, good. Because everyone (laughs) wants to hear me sing. (laughs) Here at Movies You Should Love, we look at movies, you know, the classics and the modern movies. We look at them, we kind of dissect them, we kind of discuss them, try to figure out what makes them work, what makes them the movies that still stand the test of time, or why they don't stand the test of time. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, um, visit our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. You can find links to all of this stuff, and things that we talk about will be posted there, as well as other articles that never appear in the podcast. Um Today we're going to be discussing uh, number 10 on AFI's Top 100, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, but before we get into that, let's let's catch up on some things. Lauren, what have you been watching lately? Have you seen anything good? Yeah. Um, the Probably the best thing I've been watching recently has been uh, Netflix has released a an original series um, that's based on a slightly older, I say older, it's you know late 90s, um, TV show from Britain called um, House of Cards. Um, I'd seen the original House of Cards uh, several years ago, thoroughly enjoyed it, and am now have have worked through the first season of of Netflix new uh, series here, which stars Kevin Spacey, and um, it's also really good. It's it's both the same and different from the original uh, BBC production, um, which it would have to be. They're filling a lot more time. Uh, with this one, and and it, right because the BBC was only like two or three episodes, wasn't it? it was yeah, like a uh, mini series. It, it was it was like a series of three mini series. So I think there's like six episodes total okay. that they produced over the course of like five years or something. You know, yeah. like um, I've never and, seen it, and I, I've only seen episode one of the of the American version, but I liked what I saw. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's a show that is kind of about the dark side of politics and the dark side of people and that kind of thing, and right. and really. Um, you know, people who kind of don't have a moral center and will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, you know, and, and that is being as exploitative or, or whatever as they can be. Um, the, uh, the British series follows a guy who, who basically it follows his rise through, through politics up into like prime minister and that kind of thing. And in the, the Netflix series, uh, Kevin Spacey is um, a senator who is trying to rise up into the ranks of... Oh, That's a little bit spoilerly, spoilery to tell you what he's trying to do. But he's trying to rise through the ranks of everything and get into a position of power uh, somewhere within uh, the current administration. Um, and I think he has bigger plans than that for the longer term also. Um... Anyhow, it's both are incredibly well worth watching. Um, you know, the, the the British version is slightly older, so it's not going to be quite as punchy or, or whatever it is. That said, it has kind of a delightful um, dry evilness kind of that only the British can do. Kind of a right. kind of a droll humor that is you know only matched by kind of the evil nature of the main character, and so it's it's really quite. Uh, you know, enjoyable in a dark sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, this new one is much more stylish. Uh, the first two episodes were directed by David Fincher, mm-hmm. um, so you know it's a it's a very stylish production. Um, and Kevin Spacey is just fantastic. You know, Robin Wright is great in it. Um, everyone is just phenomenal in it, and uh, thoroughly. 
honestly, I would recommend both of them uh, significantly. Cool. Um, speaking of television shows that we've recently picked up, um, Kelly and I just kind of plowed through the first three episodes of The Americans, um, which is a television show that kind of piqued our or piqued my interest, and then our DVR started recording them. I was like, we need to watch this. Let's check this out, see if it's any good. Um, for those of you who don't know what The Americans is, that sentence hurts me, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's it's a it's a kind of a period television show that takes place like I think the the majority of the story takes place in 1981. Ronald Reagan is in office, and Carrie Russell and um, I think his name is Matthew Rice Reese um, R H Y S however you pronounce that. Uh, they play basically two Soviets, two Russians um, spies living in Virginia, right on the outskirts of Washington D.C. Um, and it's on FX, and so it kind of has a a kind of a dark and gritty approach to storytelling while not being completely HBOE in its, you know, language and violence and nudity. Um, we really liked it and we are definitely on board for watching uh, more. Um, I, I, I hope that it continues to be very politically charged and very, um, I hope it continues down a, a here's my fear. I, f- I fear it may become alias. I really liked Alias. I'm not saying this is anything bad against Alias, but you know, after watching Alias, where that you know she's like this undercover spy who, time and time again, just barely, almost never quite. Oh, she did get caught. Okay, good. Um, I see the potential for that here, um, because like across the street from them is living this guy who works for the FBI, um, and so there's like, and there's already they've already introduced this concept that the husband kind of maybe wants to defect. And so I see that in the future of the show. Um, I see the possibility in the future of the show that maybe the husband will defect, but the wife won't, hmm. or maybe vice versa, because she is so she is so very much like no, we we do this for the mother country. So I think it could be really fascinating if the wife defects and then tells him that we can't, and so he doesn't. Um, but which is all really fascinating storytelling that I think isn't possible future. Um, Although it could also lead to some kind of, you know, the the spy tropes. Um, it's really cool. Like the first, I, I we really enjoyed it. I will warn people that it is, um, despite it not being on HBO, it is the closest thing to R-rated that effects can basically do. Um, it opens like, with a, you know, pretty graphic uh, sexual encounter, I'll say. You know, and you just kind of go, oh, okay, so this is what we're watching. <laughs> you know, and um, it's it's really solid storytelling. It's it's really good. And there's a really neat moment um, about two thirds of the way through where there's this really wonderful homage to Miami Vice because it, in the pilot episode of Miami Vice, uh, they play the song in the uh, in the air tonight by Phil Collins, and they do almost a not a shot for shot recreation of that sequence. But pretty close. It's like, and they play the same song, and but it it fits the story. But at the same time, it's like this kind of homage to the '80s and what came before. And I don't know. It's very stylized and very cool, and we're on board. We're going to be checking it out by the time people hear this podcast. I don't know how far we'll be into the season. You guys may know more about it than I do, but uh, we liked it, and uh, we're going to be checking out more of it. Cool. Um, well, let's see. The other thing that I've I've seen here recently. Um, is there's uh, 
for those who could have missed somehow the giant media blitz of it all, uh, there's a new Die Hard movie out right about now. Wow, they they hit it hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good day to market hard. Yeah. So uh, this last weekend, um, I needed to escape from the house for a while. So the wife and I went and saw. Oh, I just felt weird saying the wife and I. That was weird. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, we went and saw a Good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> Apparently, I am now one of those people um, who goes and sees movies with the wife. With the wife, and they happen to be movies with washed-up action stars. He's not oh. washed up. No, um, because actually, I'm going to say um, this movie is not as good as the original Die Hard because none of the other Die Hards have been as good as the original Die Hard. And to be fair, no action movie really ever will be yeah. as good as the original Die Hard. You know, uh, but that said. Um, this is like, if if you can accept kind of it just being a mindless, um, big action movie without really expecting anything, it is light years ahead of the last Die Hard movie, which I don't even remember the name of, but was horrible. Uh, um, Live Free. Or yeah, that. yeah, that one. Um, that one was pretty terrible. That one was pretty terrible. This one is not on the on that range of pretty terrible. This one is like, it, it, it's nonsensical for the most part, but in kind of a harmless sort of you're watching it because there's going to be a 30 minute chase in the beginning that is just brilliant mm-hmm. and it, even though it's ridiculous and because there's going to just be this over the top set of action and you know and, and that's what it is but it's mm-hmm. much better than the previous outing um and it, it doesn't aspire to be nearly as good as as the first die hard but um, Fair enough. but well worth your time if you kind of enjoy the characters enjoy the series um or just kind of like things blowing up or car chases because it's that kind of movie you don't really have to have a whole lot of vested background mm-hmm. in it uh, you know i think I think the the biggest reference you get to previous stuff is kind of like these little winks and nods of like, oh, I bet you have days like this all the time, kind of. <laughs> and the thing is, you're going in knowing this is the fifth well, Die Hard movie. Four really yeah. tough days. <laughs> yeah, and so it's kind of like that's about as much backstory as they bring into it. So right. as long as you know that going in, there's nothing else really referential in it. Uh, Matt, the, uh, speaking of really kind of well. I saw a really kind of amazing action film myself a couple nights ago called The Raid Redemption. I don't know if you've even heard of this. Like, it's a movie I kind of, I don't know how I heard about this. I can't even remember. It's an Indonesian film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is one of the most tense and intense movies I think I have ever seen. Definitely of recent memory. Um, it starts off with this police officer who is kind of, you see him and, He's kind of kissing the wife goodbye, going, "Well, I'm off to work," and she's like, "Well, be good." And they either either she's pregnant or there's a there's a little there's a little one in the apartment, maybe maybe she's already have a baby, but it's like you, you you get this little moment, and then basically he you see him and his kind of squad of other police officers they're suiting up that they, they kind of appear to be almost like a SWAT team or something because they are heavily armed guys getting the back of a truck and they drive up to this apartment building and then the movie for the rest of the two-hour runtime, is basically this squad finding their way up this apartment complex, um, trying to get to the top, trying to get to this guy who runs the apartment complex. He owns everything in it. He's like this drug guy. And it is, I mean, it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it, is, it, is a, it is a pretty brutal action film. 
um, with some really impressive choreography with the fight choreography. Um, and it's very clever in some of the way they kind of pull off certain things. I mean, it's the kind of, I'm not even sure what kind of action film to, to compare it to. I've never quite seen anything quite like it. I mean, it's very stylized in some of the action sequences, yet it always feels very grounded as well. I mean, it's not wacky like Jackie Chan, but if you imagine like those Jackie Chan action sequences, if um, bones were breaking and, you know, they were kind of trying to take it seriously, it's kind of like that. Um, but also lots of gunfights and lots of explosions and lots of, there's just a lot going on in the movie. That it, and it's paced very well where you, you have these moments of like, you're on the edge of your seat and then it kind of lets you go for a second and breathe. And then, it, and then, it, and then you th- that throw you right back into it. Um, I can't recommend this movie to everybody, but if you like a good action film, you like something, you know, that's going to really just punch you in the face. Um, this is the movie for you. <laughs> um, it's good, but it's, it's rough. Added to Netflix queue. Yeah, I, I got it off. I got it off Netflix. Um, the other movie that I want to touch on is a little movie that I just kind of ran into on accident. Um, I work at a used uh, video store, and um, I was shelving uh, movies one night, and I found a movie uh, in my hand called uh, Perfect Sense with Ian McGregor and Eva Green. Um, I was like, I like the both of them. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I was like, I, and I turned it over and I read it, and it's this really fascinating apocalyptic romance. I like apocalypses. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a, oh man, it's a, it's it's kind of a, a kind of a brutal movie, but in a really subtle, pleasant way. <laughs> I remember seeing the ads for this thing. Yeah, so Sorry, I just pulled it up on Netflix here, no, Scott. No, I do. I remember seeing the ads. Yeah, so basically, the what happens in this movie is you have Eva Green who works uh, in a lab, and you have Ewan McGregor who is a chef, and they are they are two strangers who kind of meet and start to fall in love. At the same time, a horrible virus um, kind of is unleashed on the world, or not unleashed, it just it, it pops up, and they don't know what what happens, but. What you what you end up seeing throughout the rest of the film is you see the world reacting as this virus spreads, and what happens with the virus is it knocks out each of your senses, and so collectively the world loses its sense of taste, and loses its sense of hearing, and loses its sense of, and you see how like there's these moments of just blind, sheer, bloody panic, and that are always kind of connected because what seems to happen is that they have these moments of really heightened senses like all of a sudden like right before they lose um the sense of smell like all of a sudden it's it's so improved for like this moment like this 15 second of pure bliss where they go i've never smelled this before smell this smell this and then all of a sudden it's gone completely and the, the the world just panics but then you see how it adjusts and they go okay we can't smell how do we get around the world without smelling? Is it that important? It smell might not be that important. It is if you're a chef, though. <laughs> you know, then all of a sudden, because then it affects your taste in a really big way. And so you see how it's a really kind of really well thought out movie that also is just completely a unabashed romance. And you see these two people kind of struggling to survive and struggling with their love. And... Uh, I'm at that age where I cry at movies, you know. <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm there, and here it is. This movie definitely it definitely hit me at the end of it. I was like, my goodness, I was not expecting this. I kind of had it on to the side while I was I was working on some art for the the podcast, and then 
about 15 minutes in, I just kind of moved the computer over in front of me and just kind of just watched the movie and stopped doing all work. It just kind of sucked me in. And then it was, it's really good. Again, it's, it's an R rated drama. So, I mean, don't go into it if you don't want to see or hear things that are above a PG 13, but man, it's good. It's really, really good. Well, that seems like a good segue into our... Unless, unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about. No. <laughs> All right. I've touched on the post-apocalypse, so let's get into The Wizard of Oz. Yes. Um, all right, so The Wizard of Oz. Uh, 1939 release. Um, it is starring Judy Garland and uh, a whole bunch of other people um, yes. who were big in their day. Um, yeah. Phenomenal character actors. I mean, they yes. just... Like, you, you, you'll recognize every single person in this movie, just about. <laughs> Exactly, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, directed by Victor Fleming, who directed *Down with the Wind*. And you were telling me that it was directed by a host of people, or like it kind of changed hands at different points. Yeah, this was this is one of those movies that I think is really kind of indicative of the difference between the studio system mm-hmm. and the um, kind of the way things changed in the seventies, to where kind of the the director was more the the author or the you know kind of the the big the big piece of the movie um you know in the studio systems directors uh, while they did have you know control over things and stuff it was really the producer's job to make the movie happen and a director was kind of a hired hand who came in to work with the actors and and you know do do things but they were a replaceable part of the movie fascinating which is it's it's just a completely bizarre thing because that is not how i mean the director today is like the director you know it's 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 his or her vision. You know, it's, it's Peter Jackson's vision of Lord of the Rings. You know, granted, he's the producer on it too, so that's okay. But yeah. but you know that was not the case then, as nearly as often. Um, that's fascinating. And so this movie, I think it had like six directors on it over huh. the course of time. Yeah, Victor Fleming is is the one who I think finally got the the major screen credit for yeah. it. Um, but um, you know, he actually left before the movie was done to go work on Gone with the Wind. And uh, this guy named King Vidor came in. <laughs> I love his name, but you know he was he did he did he was he worked. On I didn't a lot vote of... for you, King. <laughs> king. How'd you become King? <laughs> um, you know he came in. He he directed like pretty much all of the sepia colored stuff. Yeah. Um, including like uh, the Over the Rainbow song. So, uh, you know, there were a couple of people attached earlier on who did. You know specific things, screen tests. Maybe they did early screen tests mm-hmm. and then leftover disputes with the studio over things. But I mean, over the course of this movie, getting it made, it had it probably had six different directors, something That's like madness. that. Because we um, honestly can't tell by watching the movie. Yeah. Like if, if you said someone directed the sepia bookends and then someone else directed the color, I'd go okay, well that that makes sense. Maybe they brought somebody in who understood shooting for color or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like everything else, it's I mean it's. It's consistent. Like you, you couldn't tell that it's like, oh, there's that really weird sequence in the middle when so and so got a hold of it. It's like, no, yeah, you really yeah. couldn't tell if you didn't know. I mean, you don't because you like today we would think, oh, like maybe if they're doing that, you know, maybe they brought in a Technicolor expert for the Technicolor stuff, and that's your director of photography for that. Right. And then you have like a black and white expert who's the director of photography right. for the, you know, like that's where you go. You don't really think like director. Yeah. And so, right. so that I don't know. That's a pretty fascinating kind of. Uh, uh, sort of thing with this movie. And, uh, you know, I think this also goes down, you you were saying this about the writers, but when you actually pull up... Yeah, uh, I was you, astonished. 
Yeah. You know, we often worry today in movies, like when you see five or six writers on a project, you're like, oh, no, they had like five or six writers. This is not going to be good. This movie has 20 writers. Like, uh, 16 of them are listed as quote unquote uncredited who came in to do like additional dialogue. Um, and one of those, I mean, okay, so you have, you have 20 writers. Three of them are actually credited. And then the, and then the fourth one is L. Frank Baum, whose book this is based on. But then, like, there's this huge, there's a host of other writers who came in. And it's, it just, it it baffles me to look at that list. Like, And I get, if somebody told me, well, you know, the guy who played the Scarecrow, he had, because he was a vaudeville guy, he had his team. So maybe that's kind of what's going on. Maybe they, different people had different writers that kind of followed them. Or maybe it's just the studio kind of going, no, no, make it more this. Here, I'm going to bring my friend in. He knows how to make it less fantasy and more dreamy. You know what I'm talking about. You wrote that thing. I don't know. It's crazy to think 20 writers came in. It seems like it should be more of a mess than it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of the, the way this movie is. I mean, the, the guy who, um, who plays the Tin Man, mm-hmm. originally they had a completely different actor in there. They had Buddy Epson in originally. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, they, they got into shooting and stuff, and he ended up shutting down the set um, and going to the hospital. He was, like, on an iron lung because oh, he, had, yeah, he had a major reaction to the makeup the, yeah. or, or, like, like dust from the, from the metal-colored makeup that they were putting on got into, like, his lungs. And, like, it was crazy. And so they had That's to completely terrifying. replace him. But you can still hear him on all the group vocals. They only dubbed his voice out for the for the main vocals where he's just like solo. So Jack Haley came in and did new vocals, but in the groups group singing, it's still buddy Ebsen singing. So that's a weird, it saves money not to do more recording. Okay. But buddy Ebsen doesn't appear in the film anywhere, but buddy Ebsen never actually appears in the film. His voice does. His his voice does in the group songs. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's like, this is, this is the weirdness of this film is like, it's, it's, there's major issues that occurred with it. There's like weird amounts of people weird to us today. Yeah. I think, I think the thing to keep in mind is that this is not really unreasonable at this point in time in the studio system. You know, all of your actors are signed to your studio. So you can, you can pull people, you know, in and out. They're all just, they're under contract. They're, they're, you know, you're paying their salary. It's here to come work for us for the day. This isn't a King Vidor movie. This is a Warner Brother movie or whatever, Fox, whoever it was that made this. Exactly. I think it's Warner Brothers. But that's... And we haven't even touched on the story yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going... I mean, but that's what's so fascinating to me about this movie because the movie, um, it has all these layers and all these kind of legends and stories surrounding it and behind it. Don't get me started on Pink Floyd. (laughs) Oh, did did you sync it up? <laughs> I discovered it, it does nothing at all. <laughs> um, so, Wizard of Oz is the story of Dorothy Gale, a uh, little Kansas uh, farm girl who gets whisked away in a tornado and taken to the fanciful land of Oz, or doesn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or she drinks we'll it. There. We'll get there. <laughs> One or the other happens. Um, yeah, but rewatching it, I kind of forgot how much time we actually do spend on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pretty lengthy, I almost say 10, 15 minutes that we spend um, on the farm in sepia because the movie starts in like a real kind of not. I, I always I always remember it as a black and white opening, but it's actually not black and white. It's like this sepia brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, color to the whole film. Which is actually, I think, this is just an interesting thing, I think the sepia thing mm-hmm. actually creates more of a mood than just having it black and white does. Like yes. it, it actually adds to that, this is dusty, dirty, 
yeah. sad Kansas here. It's you know? not just an old movie. Mm-hmm. It is this. It's, it puts a lens on the the mm-hmm. little world she lives in. Mm-hmm. So it's actually it's that is very smart kind of filmmaking, dream sequence or not. That's very oh, it it's, is. It's very effective. And the, the the cut to color is also very effective, and I was actually very impressed by that because it happens on screen. It's not just a open the she doesn't just open the door and then cut to color and then cut to color. It's like it, there's a there's a moment where you have the sepia and the color on screen together, mm-hmm. and she kind of walks into it, and it's it's very impressive. It's like oh wow, this came out 1939, and we probably would have done it exactly the same way today. Well done, mm-hmm. whoever shot that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very, it's a very cool. Um, uh, there's a, a very impressive amount of special effects in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite is still the tornado. Like I love, uh, not not when she's in it as yeah. much, but when it's approaching the house. Like to me, that's right. still one of the most effective pieces. And that's of- just a piece of cloth. Yeah, basically, it's like a, like a tube of cloth that they've like they're. It's like and it's astounding because mm-hmm. it, it, it's brilliant. Because you, you wouldn't know it if you hadn't been told that. You're like, yeah. you're, you're like oh, the tornado's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed uh, getting back to the opening sequence. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed the opening sequence of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of forget about it. I always when people talk about Wizard of Oz, I go straight to the Yellow Brick Road, you know, and Glinda and the Munchkins, and I I forget about the really kind of fun kind of uh, John Ford opening that this mm-hmm. movie has and. Like the really, I, I really enjoyed the bantery dialogue <laughs> between characters. Well, and, and what I really like is is the opening really sets up the problems that each of the characters needs to address throughout the movie. Yes, and I think that's a very fascinating kind of way to go. Like, here's the issues. Yep. Now we're going to tell the rest of this movie to address these issues. Which yeah, which is which also is really kind of remarkable because it ultimately could have just been. Dorothy's story, mm-hmm. but by kind of making it a dream sequence, they kind of are kind of saying these characters that appear in life are going to appear here in the dream, and Dorothy in her dream is going to basically solve their problems. <laughs> you know, over the course of this movie, we're going to address these problems, but we're going to address it. We're going to introduce it in this real world, and I, th- I feel like a lot of fantasy films that kind of do this same kind of journey story would have only introduced Dorothy's problems. Like, she would have shown up and would have been oppressed by the world, and then she would have stumbled into Oz and then found her identity there. But every every character that's introduced shows up in Oz, and each of them have their own little journey to go on. Um, or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Oz the journey of the, of the witch. She continues to be a witch. <laughs> but, you know, it's like... But she's introduced in, in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that that is very fascinating to me about this opening sequence, and really the whole movie, kind of as a whole, is this movie is a musical. Yeah. Um, and in so many movie musicals, we see just like people are talking to people, and then like suddenly they break out in song, and nobody kind of notices that they're singing, and everybody just kind of joins in. Yeah. There's something really fascinating that this movie does, is that the only musical number that happens outside of Oz is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah. And it's a it's a moment where Dorothy kind of walks off on her own. Yeah. And she's portraying you know herself as, as sort of a child in this movie, I think, is kind of the, yeah. the idea. And the thing is, like... I can remember, you know, my wife can remember, as she was telling me this as, as we were watching it, she was like, pause it, <laughs> I have to tell you this. Like, you know, as a kid, going off 
and like you might have been around people but then when you go off you start making up little songs for yourself or whatever and then, like people come around and you kind of shut up again and you're you know yeah. but when you're when you're on your own especially as a child music and and stuff is something that you do and it just so happens that she had really good songwriters to right. do this for her for the movie but it's it's a very real kind of thing that a kid would do is go off on their yeah. own and Absolutely. sing a little song to themselves about how much better the world could be collect or, their thoughts or yeah. just whatever imagine something better yeah. and yeah. then the rest of the the rest of the music in the movie the big musical numbers all happen in kind of this magical fantasy land that may or may not be a dream sequence and yeah. so it's um it's very much an interesting kind of yeah uh, it's, it's an interesting treatment of, of music for a musical to do. It's it's in a lot of ways. It's, to me, it's a lot more um, cohesive an idea. I don't know if they intended it to be a cohesive idea on how to treat it, but to me, it's, it is. As I watch it today, like I really like how it's I, treated a little bit separately than most musicals do. I feel like it must have been on purpose because you take that idea, and then the rest of the movie really is Dorothy's wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. Like, that is kind of the story that they are presenting to us, is this is the world that she kind of wants to be in. She wants to kind of be in a world where she can kind of take charge and solve people's problems. And, you know, it's not the world that she imagines isn't a perfect world. There's still problems. But she is a little bit more in control. She pulls people together and shows them the way. Um, that makes perfect sense. And Because what's funny to me is, like, when I was watching the Over the Rainbow sequence, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, the Marx Brothers movie that we watched. Was it Night at the Opera? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, we When we watched that, like they would stop the movie for a song. Mm-hmm. you know. And this this felt like a the growth of that habit. Mm-hmm. You know, back in those old movies where they was kind of stopping, like, now we're going to have a harp sequence. L- l- watch. And mm-hmm. it, 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 cause it, <laughs> Yankee Doodle Dandy. Remember? Right. Where, like, it'd be like, and here's this musical number he produced. Again. <laughs> watch it for 10 minutes again. Exactly. Exactly. You've heard it once. And so it's like the second time. There's a certain aspect of like the movie does kind of stop for this song, mm-hmm. but the song is an introverted exploration of the character. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it doesn't actually stop the movie. Mm-hmm. Yet, however, all the characters do kind of go away so she can have this song that she sings. And so. It, it, it's, I, I kind of loved it. Like this is the evolution of the musical that we're seeing here. Yeah. We're going. We don't have to stop everything to have a wonderful song. Interestingly, they almost cut the song after test screenings. So. That's amazing because it is <laughs> it is the best song in the whole movie, and it's yeah. the, I think it's the song that is probably well, absolutely is, is the one that is like sung over and over again. How many artists have recorded yeah. over the rainbow? Yeah, Evelyn won an Academy Award that year for best song. So <laughs> right. you know, it's like it's a good thing they didn't. Yeah, um, but because because of that very issue where it did slow down the pacing of everything a little yeah. bit right at the beginning, it almost got cut for pacing reasons. You want to save some time? Cut the last five minutes. You won't miss anything. Be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, I get the feeling that you really don't like this dream sequence concept. I don't. <laughs> I, I am a I am a I am a fan of fantasy just in general. Like mm-hmm. I don't read a lot of fantasy books, admittedly, um, but I've read everything Neil Gaiman has written. You know, there are definitely I have a corner of, of fantasy that I really really enjoy, um, and so I love the idea of someone stumbling down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of somebody just going, "Where am I now?" or "What's this door lead to?" There's a wardrobe in here, and it's deeper than it should be. The box is bigger on the inside. I love that. I just adore that kind of storytelling, and it just it's kind of speaks to all the different things I kind of want, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so, 
to me, the ending feels like a cop-out. When you get to the end and you go, oh, that was all a dream. That wonderful journey she went on was just a weird dream. And I think and by the end of the movie, I think she is a better person. But, like, I don't know, like, the whole climax of the film and, like, the lesson that she learns, to me, is kind of a little bit undercut by the idea of it being a dream. Because at the beginning of the movie, she's going to run away. But then she runs back home as soon as she realizes there's a tornado. She At the beginning of the movie, she knows there's no place like home. She knows there's safety at home. And so she runs back there in the first ten minutes of the film. And so like the, the end lesson of the movie, like, oh, there's no place like home, to me, I'm like, well, Dorothy already knew that. <laughs> you know. And so knowing that and then also watching and kind of realizing she didn't actually go anywhere special. There wasn't magic. There wasn't cool little munchkins and a crazy brick road and a tin man. All of that was just a, a dream. Kind of robs the movie and the story of a little bit of that magic that ultimately is what I like about it. I like the crazy munchkins with the flower shoes and the Glinda traveling in a bubble. I like that. I want that to be a place that anybody could accidentally stumble into at one point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of... Of the of the dream concept, I understand it, you know, but I, I would much prefer a a Coraline story or a a Chronicles of Narnia. So you know, something where you know somewhere out there, somewhere over the rainbow, mm-hmm. there's a place, and it really is Oz, and it really is Oz, and it's really out there, and it's crazy, and you may find yourself there one day, and when you do, you know, here's a few you know things to look out for. I, I just I like that. That's mm-hmm. the, my kind of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I can see. You know, I think at the time they made it, they were very worried. You know, uh, some of the the recent fantasy films that had been made didn't do very well, and uh, you know, whatever. I think they thought the audience at that point was kind of over fantasy and maybe a little bit more um, astute or whatever. And which is really funny to me because. Um, to me, they, they don't set up the idea of it being a dream until like, the last couple minutes. I mean, I do, she does get hit on the head mm-hmm. during the tornado, but to me, there's so much going on there that they don't they don't take away the fantasy element until the last five minutes of the movie. Where they're like, that didn't happen, guys. So if you were upset about this being a fantasy film, it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is kind of fun. Well, and like. Uh, Even then, you can argue, like, maybe it did happen, and this is just how Glinda is able to get her back with the ruby slippers. Maybe exactly. It's, maybe it's not a dream, maybe it all happened, but then, in the real world, she's just been knocked out for 30 seconds. Right. But it all did happen maybe at the did. same time. And I, I think, I, I mean, and if, if you want to make peace with the future sequels and everything that sprouted out around this, I think you have to take it for that. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of, that's the explanation of it all. Because if it's just a dream, then there's no reason for there to be uh, multiple books or even multiple movies or anything. And I think, if I, me- if I remember correctly, uh, in the L. Frank Baum books, that isn't an element at all in it. No, I think she that was She literally went to Oz. Yeah. Yeah. As did, you know, and there's there's dozens of Oz stories, and they were all written yeah. well before this movie occurred. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious about the marketing. If I mean, if that was really a concern, I... I haven't. I didn't actually sit down and look at watch any of the movie trailers or anything. I wonder if they played up the dream. In yeah, the, I don't know. In, in the marketing, going, this isn't really a fantasy, guys. It's a crazy musical. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up after the podcast. Yeah, we'll keep you posted, everyone, <laughs> if we find anything interesting. 
Um, something I really wanted to touch on, um, specific to, to watching it this time. Um, I watched the new, what is it, like the 70th anniversary edition? Is that what so. 70, yeah. 75th, whatever it is? Yeah, it came out in 39. 39, so 70th, I guess. Um, and uh, for this edition of the movie, um, they did a, a complete restoration of the film, going back to original source elements and scanning them in at like high resolution 4K. Um, and there is stuff in this movie, you know, I've seen it probably a dozen times in my life at this point, um, at least. And there's stuff that I saw in this time around because of the high resolution of, of the film scan mm-hmm. that I had never seen before. And the one thing that I have to touch on that was just amazing to me is, um, Scarecrow's makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you do get this version, watch his makeup, um, because it is incredible. His, his makeup that they have on him the whole time is um, an extension of the burlap bags that they have used to create the kind of the rest of his body and everything, and it's completely seamless. They his his makeup treatment blends directly into the bags, and you cannot tell where that line crosses between his face and the bag. Like it's it's some of the best makeup work I That's think I've ever seen. And I'm only just now realizing, you know, 70 <laughs> years or whatever it is after the making of this movie, right. how amazingly good the makeup is on this character. Um, it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, truly amazing. It's it's brilliant work. People today would be proud to have done that makeup. That's cool. That makes me want to revisit the movie again, because I, I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's really cool. I did, yeah, I didn't see the... The edition that I had didn't have like any background information. Uh, it was just I, it was a DVD released, I think, even earlier than the new scan. So yeah. some of that detail I don't think was there. But that's that's really yeah. cool. If if you can get your hands on it, it's it's the seventieth anniversary. So I, it, I guess it came out in two thousand nine. This this mm-hmm. particular set. Um, there may be a newer version even since then. I don't know, but mm-hmm. that's the particular one that I saw, and it's incredibly evident. It's it's beautiful. What I noticed for the first time was that they never shot on location in this film. Yes. <laughs> like, even, like, like I assumed that about Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, you know what I mean. Like, I assumed, like, because, I mean, there's a, all of Oz takes place outside. I I, I know there's, they didn't go to Oz, but <laughs> I, I... It was a dream sequence after but, all. But, I mean, they, they could have filmed that in New Zealand if they wanted to like we're going to go build a thatch house over here and we're going to sure. build a thing over here but like I didn't realize like like watching it like you can like even the Kansas stuff is very evident that it You're is on, on a, a sound stage yeah. yeah everything is on a sound stage and it, it really what struck me this time around is like I feel like we have recently kind of started giving certain television shows and movies like Spartacus and Star Wars and some of these other movies where you can really see that scene Mm-hmm. we've been giving them a hard time kind of going oh it's so fake looking look it's right there like i can't believe movie making has come down to this and you go oh well this is kind of where we started mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's it's specifically the part that made me laugh out loud was when she was heading down the yellow brick road for the first time leaving munchkin land she's five feet from the wall and mm-hmm. you can tell like there's like there is a line in the where it's like the there are certain times where the backdrops, they, they're not even trying to be photorealistic. They're just like going, we painted this thing. It's a, it's a hill. What do you want from us? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's in the background. Watch Dorothy. Yeah, no, th- this movie, I think part of 
Now, it bugs me sometimes when I can really see sets and that kind of thing. Yeah. There's something about this movie and and the charm of it mm-hmm. is that it's basically a really elaborate stage play. Yeah. Like, where, yeah, where you know like, you're in the theater, yeah. you know they're on a set. There's, there's and no yet. pretense that it's real. Mm-hmm. Like, even when um, the Wicked Witch disappears for the first time, mm-hmm. like she throws down, like, a capsule or something, and, like, smoke comes up. But you can clearly see that it's, like, it's smoke coming up out of the floor, coming mm-hmm. around her. And then she and, goes down, like, a little elevator. And then she's being pulled down. Like, you can yeah. almost see her being pulled down. Like, it's... They don't really hide her completely. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, almost from the beginning, even once you get to Oz, you kind of go, oh, okay, this isn't real, <laughs> you know? This is just a thing, you know? And it's, it's, I had never noticed that before. I don't know if it's because I've never really like, critiqued it as I watched it, or, I don't know, maybe just even the DVD that I had was a little bit crisper, and I just kind of went, there's no outdoor locations anywhere in this film. That's fascinating. Again, it's, but it's something that really... In a lot of movies, that could really bug me, and it does not in this one. It's, no, it's, it, it's it, part of it's to me. It's part of the charm of this particular movie. Yeah, no, it didn't bug me at all. It it uh, it just it stood out. I kind of went, oh, look at that! It's, I noticed it. It's almost like they embraced it and and ran with that as a mm-hmm. theme versus trying to hide the fact that they were in a studio. And maybe that was part of the decision mm-hmm. from the beginning. Maybe that was part of the way they could undercut the fantasy element is by going, guys, none of this is real. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to pretend that it is. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> like, there is a wall right here. <laughs> yeah, but it, the, but it did make me laugh out loud when, yeah. like, when, when, it's, when it's just behind the cottage that the Wicked Witch shows up on. doesn't bother me. But like, when Dorothy is supposed to be going down the yellow brick road, I'm like, there is no yellow brick road, Dorothy. <laughs> what, what, I, I never also realized watching this movie, there's a red brick road, and I really want to know where it goes. <laughs> Like there's like this spiral, and it's like a spiral of a yellow and a red brick, and then she follows the yellow brick road. I'm like, well, where's the red brick road go? Does that go the other direction? I just it kind of fascinated me. <laughs> Never noticed it before. Well, I, that's a whole yeah. other movie they can make, right? There. Probably. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean that I, I'm not sure. I mean, we can. I don't know if we need to go through the movie. I think at this point, no. everybody has seen the movie or understands the general concepts of it. Um, I, I I was kind of like, again this movie coming out in 1939 they weren't afraid to use the word hot and tot which kind of <laughs> I went oh a product of its age <laughs> how wonderful <laughs> how quaint look at yeah. the locals yeah no it's uh, you know it's a movie that uh, I mean guess to, to jump to kind of our verdict on it yeah it's to me it's a it's a fantasy movie. Unlike any other fantasy movie, there aren't any movies like this one. Um, it's really you know, it's 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 kind of like a Disney movie, but it's not at all a Disney movie. You know, it's kind of like other mm-hmm. fantasy films, but it's really nothing like other fantasy films, really either. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's just there's something unique and special about this one, and you know, like it or hate it, this movie is sits in a very special place and category that. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's a very special kind of film that's mm-hmm. um, it's accessible to all ages. Yeah, um, you know, kids can watch it, and it's not you know it's the witches may be a little scary, but it's not really like scary scary. It's like no. that, it's like it's that perfect scary for it's kids. That good kind, kind of, of scary, like oh look, it's a witch. Yeah, witches um, are bad. <laughs> you know, there's there's nothing in it that is you know really 
objectionable or mm-hmm. um and yet it also works for adults because it, it's such a a simple fairy tale but it's still kind of just mm-hmm. works because it's such a beautiful sort of movie i don't i don't know it's it's kind of special i agree i'm gonna add that i liked it <laughs> and that, I mean, honestly, at this point, there really isn't much else to say about it. I mean, I think you you kind of nailed it that you, you can compare it to other fantasy type stories, but it's it's not quite a fantasy. I mean, or it is a fantasy, but it, there's still a lot about it that's just I don't, I, don't, not, I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know if it's just the magic of the way it was filmed, if it's the the character actors that embody each of these really kind of completely memorable people, or maybe it's just because it's kind of the first, and so everything else kind of that comes out after it kind of takes you back to Oz a little bit, and mm-hmm. people have revisited it and done their own versions of it. Um, I don't know. It's it's a charming little movie that's just kind of fun and light and good. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, what would, what else would you recommend? I mean, in this kind of, in this vein or in this genre, or if there's something else that maybe, I, I mean, of, I, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that the movies that come to my mind, um, the, the same year this came out, um, the adventures of Robin Hood came out, which is, mm. you know, one of my favorite films. Yeah. Um, they're completely different movies, but I think they're both, uh, when you get into kind of this technicolor, fantasy or medieval or you know just kind of like technicolor adventure i guess is maybe the best way i can put it like to me these are like the two prime examples of what that kind of is they're both from the same year and um you know it's it's a very distinct moment in filmmaking when Mm -hmm. when these movies both came out um so i'd I'd recommend as always the adventures it's really applicable to every movie like oh you like that movie you should go watch the adventures of robin (laughs) because it's it's better but it's um, better it's it's, it's like that no honestly that i mean if you if you enjoyed this that's actually i think a really good Mm -hmm. branch off for other classic films yeah um i i I do think that that's, that's something to be said about wizard of oz i think it's a very approachable classic film like some of these movies like Yankee Doodle Dandy that we kind of laughed about earlier and other things you might go you should watch this because it kind of helps you understand the 30s but this is completely accessible and if you like this it's a good doorway to then experiment with other movies that are 70 years old yeah exactly um Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out what a couple years before this um yeah it's it probably as far as like the Disney movies go and like really other fantasy films, it's maybe the closest in kind of feeling to this as mm-hmm. I can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, the The biggest thing with it is that um, Dorothy and Glinda the Good Fairy and Wizard of Oz both run like Snow White does with her hands kind of stuck out and just yeah. prancing over everything. <laughs> um, so that... Uh, ah, I'm a girl! Yeah. Uh. If nothing else... It, it, you know they they have that in common, but no, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs I think is actually one of the closest fantasy films, and probably out of the Disney movies, like the closest mm-hmm. match to feel and and concept. It's except maybe it's a little darker than this is even. Um, I would say so, definitely, especially with the uh, yeah the witch and also the the forest are all much darker than anything in this movie. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, I actually had intended to watch and have the DVD and just haven't been able to work my way through it yet. I've been super busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the the 1980-whatever-it-was yes. um, film Return to Oz. Um, it's which, very different. It's incredibly different. It's in some ways... Um, in some ways, maybe closer to the books, mm-hmm. and in other ways, 
much further from the books. Um, it's, it's closer to the books in some regards, and then it's completely 1980s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, in general, just a much darker sort of film. Yeah. Um, but that said, it's it's not a bad movie, and uh, if you're interested in kind of Oz and just a different approach to it, um, you know, obviously we've got um, the, the new Oz movie coming out later this year, but... Um, as far as like other Oz movies mm-hmm. go, this is probably one of the better other attempts at, at that world. I would um, say so. And it, what I, cause I remember I owned this movie on VHS when I was little and I really liked it when I was little. I revisited, yeah. I revisited it uh, a couple years ago. Didn't quite hold up the way I hoped it would. Um, but I really, it's a, it's a cool exploration of the world. If you kind of go, I want you to see more. Because in Oz, all you really get to see is like the Munchkin Land mm-hmm. and then the Emerald City and the Poppies. Um, this kind of goes, and this is what's down that other road over here. You get to see a little bit more. And they have one of the coolest little robots, uh, TikTok, who mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. Uh, and I still kind of go back to, it's like, this is a, that'd be a cool character to bring back in some way. And that's, that is what I really like about this movie, is it really is. That's how it's closer to the books. Is it really does explore a lot of the other world that that Baum really did actually write into the other books. Yeah, and it's it's actually done for for the 1980s. It's done really well. I think this film actually won possibly an Academy Award for best vid- uh, special effects for that year. I think you're not, right, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, it it has some value to it aside from all of that as well. Yeah. From for just a pushing the art of of special effects and everything. Yeah. Um, I concur. Um, yeah. That, those are those are what's on my list. Uh, for me, honestly, I've already mentioned a lot of these that I would recommend. Um, Coraline is a wonderful book um, written by Neil Gaiman that was turned into a really wonderful stop animation film a couple of years ago. Um, and to me, when you look at The Wizard of Oz and you go, "What are other movies like The Wizard of Oz?" To me, you kind of go down two roads. You go down like the fantasy world of like children stumbling into alternate realities, or you go down the kind of the musical road. Um, and so. For, for fantasy, I'd recommend Coraline. Um, it's a nice, creepy, scary kind of movie that actually ends up at the end of the day kind of upholding the family that you have and making things work. And, you know, even though you might get angry at each other, you still have a family unit that's important. Um, I think that's, it's, I, I really, I enjoy the book. I've read the book, the graphic novel, and I watched the movie and I like them all. Um, I'd also recommend The Chronicles of Narnia. I'll always recommend The Chronicles of Narnia to anybody. The movies do have a certain, uh, dwindling quality <laughs> I like them all I, I like all three that they made especially I mean the third one I'll forgive all the faults of the third one because it has the most amount of Reaper Cheap in it um, but the first Chronicles of Narnia The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe if the, you only ever see or read one Narnia book definitely the one to go Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe it is fantastic and mm-hmm. um, Alice in Wonderland also I mean, there's a lot of different versions of Alice in Wonderland I would personally recommend there was a TV movie version I think it was like a two-part miniseries. I can't remember who's all in it, but like Whoopi Goldberg was the Cheshire Cat. Um, wonderful, wonderful um, production of Alice in Wonderland, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Labyrinth is a 1980s movie that's kind of similar to this. It fits nicely with that Return to Oz. Kind it, of. Especially Return to Oz. You know, it has the same kind of feel um, in which a, a, a girl kind of wishes that her her baby sister would be taken away by the goblin king i'm so tired of him and then the goblin king takes away her baby and she has to go and find him and she travels through this land and it's it's a it's a henson film it's like it's 
it's really is it directed by Jim Henson or Frank Oz? It is. It's directed by Jim Henson. Uh, um, it's, it's it's yeah. It's it's kind of Wizard of Oz through David Bowie eyes. So yes. If that, if that sounds it's, interesting to there's you, there's a lot of David Bowie in it. Um, yeah. A lot of inappropriate clothing in the groinal region of David Bowie. <laughs> Some uncomfortable close-ups of said region. Um, that being said, it is really imaginative, and there's some really great characters and creature effects and special effects going on in that movie that um, I really like it. Um, two last things I have to touch on. These are kind of big. One is not The Muppet Wizard of Oz. By no, Under no circumstance should you ever watch The w- Muppet Wizard of Oz. Yeah, really? We're not if just like, saying... If you like The Muppets and if you like The Wizard of Oz... Do not watch The Muppet Wizard of Oz. And if you don't like The Muppets or The Wizard of Oz, especially don't watch The uh, Wizard of Oz. It's uh, it's truly, really, when you introduce Quentin Tarantino into The Wizard of Oz, you know, you know you're kind of done. When you have Gonzo making nipple jokes and you have somebody getting witch slapped, it's just like there's... Oh, there's like there's there's no part of that, and I'm I'm sorry because I I know I always I always hate bad mouthing something because I always know that even something that I do not like was still probably several years of hard work by a lot of different people. It's just not good on any level. Just no. just avoid at all costs. Yeah, it's 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 pretty rough. And and just as a note, you know, because I know that Muppet Studios and and Disney and everybody is listening to us. Um, it's true. The, the point I would like to make is I love the idea of a Muppet Wizard of Oz, it, and it, you could totally remake it. Yeah. Just don't remake from that script. Go no, and actually... It, it's actually a, almost a match made in heaven. I mean, especially if you take the concept of the dream. It's like, you go back to Muppet Babies, and the whole thing was about your imagination can make things come true. And it's like, it is almost a perfect fit. It might be a better fit for Muppet Babies, but it's mm-hmm. still, like, it is... Yeah. Like, if you say Muppet Wizard of Oz, I go, well, that makes sense. Let's watch that. You know, because you're going to watch Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol, and then obviously you're going to watch The Muppet Wizard of Oz. But Why don't. wouldn't you? But yeah. don't. But don't. <laughs> but don't. Okay, so the last thing I want to recommend, if you like Wizard of Oz, I would really recommend Wicked to everybody. I am not honestly the biggest fan of the book, um, but it's a good book. What I would definitely recommend is the play and the soundtrack to the play. <laughs> um, and it's, to me, it's it's the movie that needs to be made next. I kind of wish they were making Wicked right now instead of this Oz movie that's coming out. I'm looking forward to the Oz movie. I'm going to. I'm definitely going to be there. But Wicked is it is so good. It is like the like the play. Kelly and I got to see the play down in Atlanta. We went down there, um, and it. It, it's a sequel to the movie. It's a world. If you read the books, they're all. Um, Gregory Maguire has written a whole series of books called like the Wicked Years, and they examine all the different characters in this universe. But it is specifically a sequel set in the universe of the movie, and so it's it has little to nothing to do with the Frank the L Frank Baum books. Um, this goes. You remember, you know Dorothy and Wicked specifically takes the Wicked Witch. Um, the Green Wicked Witch of the Wests, her story, um, gives her a name, gives her a backstory, you know, and it's really phenomenal because it, it's this examination of the other side of the story and makes her a definitely a less despicable character. You kind of tr- it turns out that maybe Glinda may have a few things going on, and the wizard may have a few things going on. If you can find the soundtrack recording, uh, Christian Chenoweth plays Glinda, and Adina Menzel plays um, Afaba, and they have such. There's so many great songs in it. It's a like if if you like the musical aspect of Wizard of Oz, go seek out Wicked. If, see if they're touring still. I don't know if they are, but definitely find the soundtrack. I I really like it. It's a soundtrack that I revisit. Um, I'm I'm a fan of musicals, and 
Wicked is a musical that I think has a permanent residence on my iPod because every once in a while I go, yeah, I need to listen to that again. Really clever lyrics, beautiful music, and fantastic singers. I mean, it's Christian Chenoweth with Adina Menzel. You can't, it doesn't get better than that. So. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that about does it for our episode here. Um, yeah. As always, uh, you know, let us know what you thought of the movie at mm-hmm. Movies You Should on Twitter, or um, MoviesYouShouldLove.com is our website, and there's always Facebook, Facebook.com/MoviesYouShould. Mm-hmm. And next week we're going to be talking about um, uh, Snow White no- and those. Sorry, I could yeah. go. <laughs> oh, I was just say number thirty-four. Yeah, you were talking about it, and so yeah, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, number thirty-four, and AFI's top one hundred. Yeah, it seemed like a natural progression from mm-hmm. this, so we'll we'll fill you in on uh, kind of the birth of feature animation there. Everything you should know about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, we will see you next time. Yeah. Till then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. Um, so if you'll give me a level real quick. Uh, who put the bop in the bop, shabop, shabop? I think Talk. that bird is the word.